seven letters from seven churches, the last Sunday of this series. I hope that you've enjoyed it. And it's the revelation of John, but listen, so far this has been the revelation of Jesus. These are the red letters of Jesus that he gives to the church of Christ. And so with particular attention, I think we as Christians should hear these words for us today. For all seven churches, we are on the precipice of Ash Wednesday and and the season of Lent, and I don't think that there could be a better letter to a church than what we have today. So if you remember last week, we had the Church of Philadelphia, and Jesus couldn't say enough good things about Philadelphia. Never said one negative word, didn't have to tell them to repent, they were going in the right direction. This week, he can't say anything positive about them, not a single word positive. We're coming to that infamous church we call Laodicea, Laodicea. So turn with me if you have your Bibles, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. If you have your phones, your tablets, you can turn there as well. But I want to look at three movements in this text with you. The spiritual assessment that Jesus gives to this church, number one. Number two, his reaction to where they are spiritually. And number three, the call to faithful response. His assessment, his reaction, and a call to response. So first of all, Jesus' spiritual assessment. Let's look at this church historically. This is very interesting stuff. Laodicea. It was a capital of high fashion. In fact, it was known for its textiles, particularly they had created this wool, silky woolen cloth that all the rich and famous people wanted to get their hands on. So it was high fashion. It was a financial hub. It was a financial hub with banking and trade and entrepreneurism, a lot of money flowing through Laodicea. They were a medical center. They focused on ophthalmology. They had created the salve that everybody in the ancient world wanted, It was a salve for the eye to heal any kind of ailments you may have with your eyes. That'll be important in just a minute, okay? Remember that. So just know um, that they were rich and they were prosperous and they were enormously and famously prideful. Because of their prosperity, they had become very, very prideful and self-sufficient. In fact, in 60 AD, there was an earthquake in Laodicea. It almost was totally wiped out. And the Roman government came in and said, we want to offer you humanitarian aid. And they said, we'll give you whatever resources it will take to rebuild. What did the Laodiceans say? Nah, don't need your help. Don't need your help. We are strong. We're resourceful. We're pridefully independent. We don't need your help. We can save ourselves. That's very important too. Prideful independence. Self-sufficiency. Look at verse 15 and see how Jesus addresses them. I know your works, he said. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. See what's happening? Elitist, materialist, wealthy. We can do it ourselves. We're spiritually complacent. We don't need you, Jesus. They had drifted into nominal faith, lukewarm spirituality. They will not allow themselves to see clearly their spiritual condition. And Jesus will have none of it. He refuses to be pushed out to the boundary of their spiritual lives, refuses to be relegated to the periphery of importance for them. The Anglican scholar and Bishop N.T. Wright judges their condition like this. He said the smug, 
self-righteous attitude of the town as a whole had rubbed off on the Christians as well. Smug, self-righteous attitude. My friends, this could be modern-day America, 21st century America. This could be New York. It could be Atlanta. It could be Charleston. It could even be Somerville, our beloved town. Anywhere that prosperity rubs off on Christians to promote lukewarm attitudes towards Christ, that's Laodicea. Lukewarm, enculturated, living Christian lives that are full of form yet have no substance. There's nothing underneath there. They've exchanged a deep fate for Christ for a thin veneer. You know, people tell me, I've never done it, don't turn me into PETA, all right? But people tell me, if you take a frog, put it in a kettle of water, and turn up the heat slowly, that frog will boil to death without ever realizing that it's in danger. I've been told, all right? But that's what's happening in Laodicea. Jesus is slowly being pushed out to the periphery of their lives in such a way they don't even realize it. Worldly passions and wealth, social rank, their jobs, their creature comforts, their second vacation homes, their financial portfolios. These were their obsessions. Jesus was on the periphery. Sounds a lot like modern America to me. Jesus warned us in John 12, 25, Whoever loves this life, this worldly life, more than me is going to lose life. But whoever hates his life in this world and loves me more will have life eternal. You become lukewarm, he says. You love the world more than me. So be on guard of how we might be able to fall into the same apathy, folks. Too many of us look at TV way too long every week. Too many of us find at the center of our existence social media. So many of us get so caught up in our children being so busy. Leslie and I had to really wrestle against that so long with all the opportunities to play travel ball on Sunday mornings. How do we get to church? How do we make Jesus primary? We, got, we didn't have it, but other people got dance classes and swim classes on Wednesday night. How do we get into a small group? It's easy to be so busy that he gets pushed to the periphery. Or, I've got to get up at 5 a.m. and work on my body and make sure I stay in shape because I've got to push harder to, to make sure I attain the health, but then I'm tired and I really don't want to do Bible study in the morning and I don't have any more time for prayer. See, all these things are good things, but they're not central things. Laodicea had pushed Jesus out to the periphery. And we push so hard in our jobs to make more money, to buy that house in just the right neighborhood, and to buy that nicer house and that nicer car and, and to buy that boat we've always wanted. And in doing so, we push Jesus in the periphery so that we don't have time for ministry in the church and we're not able to give generously to the church because we've given to everything else in our lives. And like a frog being slowly boiled, we become lukewarm. You see, Laodicea had no good water supply, folks. Uh, literally. They would pipe the water down in the Roman aqueducts from six miles away in a place called Hierapolis. Hierapolis had wonderful warm water, and it was full of minerals, and people would go there for healing all the time. But the Laodiceans had to pipe it in. It was warm. And then from Colossae down to the south, they would pipe in water from there, and it was cool, refreshing spring water. It was what would, you would want on a hot summer day. So there was 
warm to the north and cool to the south, and in Laodicea, there was rank, putrid water. Literally, no one drank the water in Laodicea unless you wanted to induce vomiting. That's literally what they did. And in verse 16, look at that. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Literally, the word there is I will vomit you out, Jesus says. Jesus is nauseated by their apathy. A, bold, a bored Christian, a lifeless Christian, an apathetic world-pursuing Christian makes Jesus sick to his stomach. I sent you out to be disciples of the world, and now you've been discipled by the world. You look just like your culture. Remember that earthquake in 60 A.D. where they had prideful self-sufficiency? You see it now in their spiritual lives. Look at verse 17. For you, Laodicean Christians, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that spiritually you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Jesus alone sees clearly their need. They think they need nothing. You are so elitist, so wealthy, so self-sufficient, you can't even see clearly your need. So Jesus opens their eyes. Look at verse 18. I have come to bring at the end of that verse, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see your spiritual condition. Now, isn't that ironic? The center for medical studies, the center for ophthalmology, the people that were healing everybody's physical eyes, Jesus says, you're blind to your spiritual need. I've got to bring the Holy Spirit and a salve just to anoint you to see clearly where you are. Like a frog, you've been boiled slowly by your wealth and your power and your incessant pursuit of the good life. You've given up the springs of living water for putrid, dank, lukewarm water. John 4.14 tells us, Jesus says, But whoever drinks of the water that I give them, they're never going to thirst again. And the water that I give them will become like a spring welling up into eternal life. They've given away the spring of the water of life for their lukewarm faith. Form over substance. So that's all a real downer, I know. Terrible assessment. Why does Jesus say these words, these tough words to the church? Look at verse 19. He does it because he loves them. Those whom I love, I reprove, and I discipline. Jesus is telling them the truth, opening their eyes because he loves them. He wants them to come home. And that's the good news. Which brings us to Jesus' reaction. Last thing. Notice Jesus never gives up on them, and he won't give up on us. God's grace and mercy are always out there for us. He wants to open our eyes to our spiritual need. And the second thing he wants us to do is in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline so that they may be zealous and repent. Be zealous. I want you to be hot or cold, but not lukewarm. I want you to move from boredom to excitement in me. You're sick right now, and I want to heal you, Jesus is saying. Your Christianity is nominal at best, and I came that you might have life, and I want you to have it more abundantly. Be zealous, Jesus says. I don't want you to be my fans. I want you to be fanatics. I don't want you to be uh, putting me on the periphery of your existence. I want to take up the center. I want to be on your throne. Be zealous and repent. Confess your sins. Come back to me with all your hearts. On Wednesday at Ash Wednesday, we're going to hear from the prophet Joel. 
and he'll set the pace for Lent. He'll say, rend your heart, not your garments. Jesus wants our hearts. So how should we respond? Well, I hope they'll put this up there. Um, From chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus gives us a picture of what our response should be. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's a simple invitation with profound implications. See, uh, this is William Holman's Hunt's uh, painting from 1851, and it's an, al- an analogy of this very verse. And I'll pack, unpack it for you, and we'll be done. But it's about what Lent's about. So it's in Keeble Chapel. It's in Oxford, if you want to go see it someday. But you got this huge, imposing Jesus who's wearing the crown of thorns, where he gave his life for you, and he's wearing the crown of glory, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's coming into the darkness of the sinner's heart, and he's bearing a lantern, which is the light of Christ. And as John tells us, the light of Christ that the darkness cannot overcome. And he's knocking at the door of the Christian's heart. And if you could see it, you could see vines that had, had come over the Christian's heart from years of neglect, years of lukewarmness. Either this person had never opened himself up to Christ in the first place, or either they had opened themselves up and allowed the vines to grow up over the years, like the Laodiceans. But you'll notice, too, that the door to the Christian's heart is on the end, the knob is on the inside. Jesus isn't going to come in and impose his will and, and coerce you into belief. You've got to make that commitment. You've got to open the door to your heart. Only you can do that. So that's the picture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll invite me in to the recesses of your heart, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. In verse 18, Jesus goes further and says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. (laughs) I thought they were already rich. This is a a hub of commerce. Yeah, Jesus is saying, I want to make you really rich. Not rich on the things of this world, but but rich in me that springs up to eternal life. You people who are so self-sufficient, you need to realize that the only currency that Jesus accepts is an impoverished heart, a contrite spirit, a repentant sinner, opening the door to grace. So St. Paul's, remember what Jesus says. I want you to be zealous and repent. Come back to me. And I want to open a doorway, but you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to open the door for me so that I can come in. We don't do this very often as a sermon response, but I, I think this calls for it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I think that's an invitation to us. And so if you're like that Christian who's allowed years of neglect to, to take Jesus out of, the periphery, out of the center of your heart and push him in the periphery, maybe you need to come to the altar and say a prayer this morning. Uh, maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and there are more vines than you can imagine. His grace is all sufficient for that. And so whatever your needs may be, we would invite you to the altar. We're going to have some prayer ministers. Uh, not going to take a lot of time, but we want this time to be a ministering time to your soul and your heart. You can pray where you are, that's okay, but if you come forward, that's even a greater way to kind of open up the door and say, Jesus, I want to step out and turn the knob for you. And so for the next few minutes, let's just be in prayer that we might start Lent out on the right foot, and uh, I, as chief of all sinners, would want to be prayed for first. So somebody from the prayer team can come forward and pray a prayer for me for recommitment to Jesus Christ.